coming in hot. Brother Dawson, how are you, bud? Good. How are you? <laughs> awesome. I, I <laughs> I'm going to flip the script. I'm not going to complain. I got some. Uh, okay. I got a fair amount of responses about, you know, our, us being more candid the past couple weeks, which is cool. But I don't want to be Mr. Gumpalumpapus. So how are you doing? Yeah, no, the, we've we've definitely used this podcast over the last few years as therapy for ourselves. And I think maybe in our minds, we're thinking, hey, if we let this stuff out, anyone else that has it trapped inside them will be like, OK, so I'm not alone. That's the whole goal of this podcast from the beginning is to let people know you're not alone. Right. Like we exactly. we drop sticks. We break heads. We play this instrument every single day and still think maybe there's something better and if i just got new wing nuts from cherry hill that all of a sudden i just play better <laughs> it's like i've got my custom drum key that i take with me everywhere cuz i'm like well i can't tune a drum with a regular drum key this is the key of destiny uh so we go through the same things as you i'm doing good i would say positive is i'm getting ready for the Adobe training seminar where we'll be training people how to speak better on camera. Super cool. So that's on Monday and Tuesday. So I'm kind of nervous, kind of excited. Uh, but I saw that you had something exciting. You got your new Canon EOS R and did. Sigma Art Series lens delivered. Both delivered today, and you didn't tell me I need an adapter, so I'm yeah, going to have to just stare at it for it. a while. <laughs> the so. lens can get really close to the camera, but no, it cannot attach to that camera body. Sorry about that. If any of you are thinking about getting the <laughs> Canon EOS R or the EOS RP, you will need Canon's adapter to a, a, a attach EF mount lenses to it, and I did not tell Mr. Dawson that. <sighs> I feel like I should send you mine nah, just, just, just to make up I'll for it. Just rush it from Amazon. Although Amazon, there, there is no one-day delivery anymore. If they're ever going to bring that back. I feel like it's kind of like when the when the airlines sort of collapsed and all of a sudden they were charging you to bring your hat and shoes onto the plane. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, is Amazon ever going to do the one or two-day yeah, delivery that, ever again? That's been a little bit tough because I got very used to that. And I'm like, you know what? I... I want to change the camera angle. Let me just get a 35-foot HDMI cable. It'll be here in August. What? <laughs> right. I'm like, dude, just, bro, it even says you're sending it from Simi Valley. I could drive there. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I'm sorry about that, but you did get a new camera. <clears throat> I am actually, so you got the Canon EOS R. P. The, uh, the EOS R P, excuse yep. me. Um, and I have the Canon EOS R as my traveling camera. Now, if I was only going to have one DSLR slash mirrorless camera to film my educational stuff, if I didn't have the Canon C200s, then it would be the EOS R or the EOS RP. I think for making educational content, for making product reviews, Canon's color science still just crushes it. My EOS R is my travel camera, and I want to do a shootout between that and Fuji's new X-T4 Okay. for a few reasons. Mainly, I hate to say this, I just dig the way Fuji cameras look. They're very mechanical. They got dials yeah, everywhere. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. all the settings that are inside a normal new camera, those are on the outside of a, cam of a Fuji. So there's like this, I don't know if you have any drum brands that every time you see something from them, you're like, ah. God, you guys still get me. Like, yeah. maybe it would have been Rogers for you. Uh, you know, I think Q drums, like everything okay. that Jeremy Perfect. puts out, I'm like, man, the aesthetic of this is just always spot on. Just spot and on. And that's the thing is, I don't own a single ounce of Fuji gear, but I follow like nine Fuji pages on Instagram. Every time I see, 
And I'm not talking the pictures that the camera takes. I'm talking about the picture of the camera itself. What a weird fetish. <laughs> I guess <laughs> totally. it makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's gear. Gear, yeah, is, gear, gear. is gear. And yeah. uh, so I, so I have the XT4 coming today. I'm going to do a shootout publicly with that. So I'm going to let what I thought of was, or what I realized is, why should I keep the traveling camera, which is my vlogging and photo camera? Why should I keep the camera? that I like the look of the best when I don't have to see any of the footage. My followers are the ones that see the footage. So I'm going to let them choose mm. who wins. So it's going to be photos, A and B. It's going to be vlogging, A and B, uh, drumming, A and B, all of that stuff. And then at the end of that, one of those will succeed. So if it's the Fuji, I'll keep the Fuji and sell the Canon EOS R. If it's the Canon, I will send the Fuji back to Amazon. Thank you guys for your rental program. That's not really a rental program. <laughs> And then I did rent, uh, then it'll go head-to-head against a Leica Q, which is, that's the dream camera. But I, I couldn't even find one to buy in that rent-to-buy thing, so I actually had to rent it from a camera company from uh, borrowlenses.com. So it'll be Canon EOS R against the Fuji X-T4, and then the winner of that will go up against the Leica Q2. And the Leica Q2, the thing that I really like about that is it's a fixed lens. You can't ever change the lens. Okay. And for a travel camera, I kind of like that. Okay, just, I mean, you should see my my camera bag is way heavier than my symbol bag. Mm. It's insane. When, I, when I'm doing a clinic tour, I look like a film crew. Right. And I kind of just, it's like, oh man, if I had no options to change lenses, just me and my camera, that kind of appeals to me. So we'll see. So that's an option to buy or are you just going to torture yourself? I, yeah, I mean, that's, the Fuji X-T4 is a really small conversation at dinner with Amber. <laughs> the, the Leica is a good two to three day couch sleeping situation. <laughs> it's plasma. right under like coming home with like a used Ferrari. Like, <laughs> she's like, why do you need this? <laughs> like, uh, I don't. I don't at all. Like a really but old I, Ferrari that you can only drive a couple miles. Totally. <laughs> but it totally. looks super like, dope. <laughs> and it's salvaged because it was at the bottom of our American River for six months. It's like, babe, I got a Ferrari for $86. She's like, there's a reason. There's a reason you got a Ferrari for $86. <clears throat> so anyways, we'll see what happens. But I'm excited. And I'm excited for you to get your adapter because I know that I know the camera you've been using. I know the lenses you've been using and going to the EOS RP not only, and with that 24 mil 1.4 lens, holy moly, not only will your videos look so much better, which will then in turn make you want to make more videos because yeah. you'll be excited of the output, but you'll finally have like a truly legit photography camera and photography lens, and you'll start taking more pictures of the dog and of drum stuff. You know, you mm. get close on just an old rusted lug, and with that depth of field at 1.4, I mean, you probably set it to like 2.0, but... It's going to look amazing. Absolutely amazing. So well, I'm stoked for you. One of these days. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> Anyways, we've got some news to get to. So as you can tell, we are making the gentle shift into a camera gear podcast. And so this is our announcement that it is now. Uh, okay. This podcast is taking a short break. We don't know. It's indefinite at the moment. We don't know how long. We've just got some stuff that we need to work out. Uh, and we want to reevaluate the podcast itself. We're over... 200 episodes deep i think right now if you start uh yeah if you start early in the morning on a monday <laughs> you can get almost two full weeks without ever turning off our podcast <laughs> oh that's pretty amazing god. and i'll see you in the insane asylum <laughs> oh my god 
I can't even make it through one episode of us talking. <laughs> I want to know how many times we contradict ourselves in 240 oh. plus episodes. We are literally like like the the health system of America. Like drink red wine. Red wine will kill you. Yep. Make yep. sure you eat chocolate. Never eat chocolate. <laughs> meat. Don't That's eat us. meat. Ma- wear a mask. Yep. Don't wear a mask. It's all. Only eat meat. <laughs> Only to eat all meat. keto. Yeah. Meat and fat. That's it. <clears throat> anyway, so this podcast is taking a break. We don't know when we're coming back, but just know that when we do and we do plan to come back, we will come back with a new focus. And, and really what we want to do is take some time to zoom out and think, is everything that we're doing, is it, uh, is it the best it can be for this medium, for this format? You know, we, Mike and I jumped into this four years ago almost and mm. had no idea what we were doing with podcasting. We'd never podcasted before and we just kind of did it. And now we have the chance to say, okay, we've done over 200 episodes Let's think, could this be any better? How could we bring more value to this hour that you guys have been so generous to spend with us? And so we're excited to do that. So we will keep you posted through our various social media channels. But just know for now, this is called the pause cast. This is, we are just pressing pause. We're not quitting. We're just pausing. The heartbreak episode. Yeah. So what I've always wanted to tell you about freaking Pearl. No, oh. <laughs> I love Pearl. We've talked so much about our love for Pearl uh, for, since we were kids. So not Pearl. So should I talk I'll about talk my Minel? own company? Should I go into my Yeah, let's talk about Minel. We could, we could. Every once in a while, I got to say, there's been a few times where I'm like, not Minel specifically, but my own endorsements. I got to say, for the most part, I'm pretty proud of how my endorsements handle a lot of things. Uh, and then I feel, I hope that all artists out there have a close enough relationship with their A&R. There have been some controversial things, nothing like crazy. But over the last four or five years where I was like, I'm really happy I have a close enough friendship with my A&R that I can call him right now because mm-hmm. I don't agree with this, but maybe <coughs> I don't understand this. And th- I've never gotten off the phone call going like, yeah, screw them. It was always like, okay, I'm really glad I made that call because I only saw what I saw and what the public saw, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what went into it. So, um, you know, I and I, I can only assume that's how it is for all the companies. I mean, I think we're in a pretty good place where on – you would know way better than I, but drum industry wise, I don't think we have any bad companies out there. We have people that are they'd I mean, be in a different industry. Not, I mean, none of the companies that are like serious, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, Jimmy John's wing nuts—that dude's a <laughs> douche. <laughs> you and your wing nuts. What's going on? I don't even use wing nuts. You see, there's not a single wing nut on my kids. Well, yeah, because you review forty-six symbols a day. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of symbols, oh, that's right. I got a new symbol. Yes. You yeah. teased this a couple weeks ago. It's the Foundry Reserve 22? 22-inch light ride. Is it, yeah. They have just one model, or are there different models? They have a 22-inch ride and then a 22-inch light ride. Okay. So uh, they have them in <clears throat> 22 and in 20s, and then they have, I believe, 18-inch, which aren't called crashes. I think it's kind of just 18-inch symbol, then 15-inch and 14-inch hi-hat. So I have the 15-inch hats. Those have been my hats since the First day I played them, mm-hmm. and I think I told you I had to like call the guy that had ordered them and tell him I was stealing his hi hats. Were you in Europe whole... or something first for a yeah. clinic? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and they were asking me like, "Will you just try out some of the Foundry Reserve stuff?" I'm like, "No, I don't care about it." <laughs> and I was like, "Fine, just send me the hats. I'll just play the silly hats." And then I 
they're sitting on my kit right now. Uh, <laughs> the silly, hats, the silly like nine thousand dollar high hats. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I was just like, I was finally there where I liked my gear. It's like, don't tempt me. Yeah, just yeah, let yeah. me. I like my gear. So I've been playing those, and then yeah, I've had them for maybe two years now, uh, maybe a little bit less. And then I just wanted because the hats, I feel like hats and then symbols, whether it's ride or crash, are very separate entities because with the hats, you almost always play them closed, so you're mm-hmm. never hearing the metal do its thing. So I called mine and said, look, I just need at least one Foundry Reserve symbol. It can be a crash or a ride. And they said, if it was a ride, which one? I said the 22-inch light ride. Uh, and yeah, it's been up on my kit replacing my 22-inch Big Apple Dark Ride now since I got it. I don't, I haven't decided yet if it's, it's weird. Everyone uh, is in the Mike's Lessons family that has heard it in our live lessons and in courses, they're like, dude, that, that that's the one. Hmm. I'm like, okay. Um, for what it is, I know that if I had any of my jazz buddies come over, that that ride is on the kit because they always go like I don't understand why Mino can't do jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, none of my jazz friends talk like that. I don't even know what that. <laughs> no is. None of my friends. friends are from. <laughs> yes, all of my jazz friends from uh, from <laughs> Alabama go Mike. So, anyways, uh, if I had if I had kind of a symbol snob come over. Yeah. Are you just going to sit back and let me uh, just go down this thing? <laughs> just thinking of all these imaginary friends. You've got jazz friends from Alabama. Who else you got? Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy John's wingnuts. Jimmy John comes over all the time. He's just, he's like, what do you think about bronze wingnuts? I'm like, Jimmy John, I don't think about wingnuts. Have you done uh, a blind <clears throat> test where no one can see the symbol? Mm, I have not. it's a beautiful symbol. Of course, everyone's going to see it on, on camera. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the one, but. Good point. What if it sounds like? Yeah, there's something <laughs> There's something about that 22-inch Big Apple Dark Ride that I just really enjoy. But I will say this symbol, it's, it, I mean, almost every other ride that I have doesn't even kind of tempt me. This one stayed up for a while, and it's not, I mean, I don't know how, how much people know about endorsements, but it's not like Meinl says, okay, we'll send this to you, but it has to be on the kit for six months. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. Um, I have no obligation to play this. They know that they were sending it specifically for my camp so that my campers could get a chance to play it. Right. So, and they asked about it a lot last year. So we'll see. But so far, it's beautiful. Um, How's it compare with the Big Apple? I think that's a that's a pretty dry ride, right? The Big Apple one? Yes. So this one has a little bit more shimmer. It's a different style of crashing for sure. Um, it's a little bit more explosive. Like the Big Apple Dark Ride, no matter how hard you hit it on the side, it just flexes and does mm-hmm. nothing. And I think that's what I got used to is I could just like go full car lock laying into it and it never started to override at all. Mm-hmm. It just stayed right there. It just couldn't go there. This symbol, maybe what I don't like about it is that you actually have to have touch while playing it. And I'm like, I don't want to work on my technique again. <laughs> Come on. I thought I was over this. Can I share something nerdy with you? Yeah, I um I've been rereading an old textbook that I had in gosh twenty five years ago, not quite twenty twenty two years ago on uh, electroacoustic music. I like I break it out every couple of years just to remind myself how little I know about the physics of sound and all of that. So oh, I, okay, I found something called the equal loudness contour, which is it's basically it's a graph of how loud a frequency has to be in order for it to be perceived equal with all the other frequencies. If that makes sense. 
Yeah. So how actual how how loud does the sound actually have to be before your ear hears it to be the same volume as other frequencies? Okay. The bass drum fundamental, which would be around sixty hertz or something, yep. needs to be fifty decibels louder than the general hi hat hi hat area around five to seven kilohertz. Fifty Dude, decibels. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And and in my mind, it doesn't mean hit your bass drum harder. It means stop chipping away so freaking hard <laughs> on your on your hi hats. It means yeah, I'm like, you don't need to crush your hi hats ever, or get some really dry, dead, dry hi hats. Yep. Wow, fifty decibels. That's insane. Yeah, it's a huge curve all the way. I mean, it doesn't end right around the five to seven, which is where we almost always crank when we want to make something sound brighter. It's a huge yep. dip down. So that's like the area where you hurt people's ears, <laughs> and everything from like a hundred wow. down, it's like way up there. So. Wow. It kind of reaffirms what I learned from Dennis Chambers when I was 13. You got to play from the bottom up. Always yeah. play from the bottom up. The bass drum should be the thing that you focus on playing the loudest. The hi-hat should be yeah. the absolute <laughs> lightest. Thing. You know, okay, think about it like this. If somebody came and somebody just came and sat down on your kit and you never met them before, but they said, oh, yeah, I play drums and it's one of your wife's friends, comes down to your kit and has a really solid kick and snare and feathered hi-hats, you would instantly be like, man, this cat can play. This guy's got pocket. Right. But if they went, if they flipped that and went super loud on your hi-hats and, and babied your bass drum, That's you would be like, well, you off, clearly can't play. Get off the kit. It's instant. Get off my kit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Captain Featherfoot. Get off my kit. You're messing with my wing nuts. <laughs> oh. Goodness gracious. Well, that that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. I mean, I think it, obviously that's that's a kind of a gross generalization because every every drum sound has every frequency in it, but just the the concept Still. of your low end needs a lot more energy in order to translate versus your high end. And it goes straight back to that video that we always talk about with uh, Matt Chamberlain for Apogee where he talked about laying into his floor tom because right. It's a lower frequency, and if you're using a single mic, it's further away from the, the yeah. mic. I mean, it just makes sense. But And I'm still in that place. I mean, God, it must have been almost the beginning of our podcast when I did my first camp with Ash. And I remember coming back, and my biggest takeaway was, like, he doesn't crash his crash cymbals. Mm. Like, he he hits them with the tip of the stick on the top of the cymbal, and, and it, it changed everything for me because mm -hmm. I still, even in educational videos i'll kind of finish something flat doom shattered doom and as my arms in the air i'm like no you don't need this and it's like boy i'm like okay you did a, a simple pat boon debbie boon fill and then you swung swung for the fences into a 20 inch crash symbol like dog just tap it if there's one danger of this whole stay at home play your drums by yourself with your in-ears and for instagram Right. I think that's it because if you yeah. haven't played in a room where an organist is his left ear is right by your right side crash and to yeah, know like how point. literally damaging that is for your fellow man. <laughs> you know? Such a good point. <laughs> it's like yeah, that, those, it's, uh, those those that control and I mean you can't you could you could I guess you put up one microphone you're going to hear that you're way out of balance but you can still kind of mess with the EQ and compression. Compression. And, yeah, I, I think the in-ears are still such a double-edged sword for me. Like, I have to have in-ears for my work, but I have to remember to not make that the norm. Like, 
that's not how drums sound. Even, I mean, I'm always telling my students that play E kits, like you're kind of rewiring your brain. In ears are the same thing because I've got a I've got a headphone mixer right next to me. I can turn that thing down so quiet that I could smash my drums and it wouldn't even phase my hearing at all. Mm -hmm. It would be nothing. I'd be like, eh, it's fine. But I, as soon as I take them out, because there's times where I'll finish playing and I'll take my in-ears out and all that's happening is that my cymbals are still ringing for me playing. Yeah, and it's, and it's so like, loud. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's so loud. I, I hit them like seven <laughs> seconds ago. How are they still doing that? You know, what's a telltale so, for me is if I see someone do like a straight ahead jazz play along. And they're like <laughs> smashing, like dude, yeah. you would. That's you've obviously never played with human beings before, right. because ching ding ding ching ding ching ding ching. Cat cat cat. I'm like whoa. And I see that a lot. Like I'm playing my get my straight ahead chop yeah. song. Like whoa, your even your softest note is too loud. Like right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I'm I'm back to grumpy old man. Get off my lawn. But no, no, no. We got to get it out. <laughs> we got to get it out. All right, we're going to get to a few. Listener questions, that was probably the most difficult sentence I've ever said. <laughs> We're going to get to a few listener questions, and we've got an audio question. Yeah, we're going to start with the audio question. Bring it. All right, so let's see what we got. What's up, Mike and Mike? This is Frederick Olsen from Sweden. I have a question about timing. Obviously, humans can't be as accurate as computers when it comes to quote-unquote perfect time but it's still possible to have close to perfect time. I think of people like Ash Soen or Benny Greb, for example. And my question is, uh, if you know of any universal standard when it comes to how close you need to be to the metronomic grid for it to count as perfect time, like is it three milliseconds, 10, 50? And do you have a personal range that is acceptable to you? And sometimes you obviously want to push and pull with the music and let the time breathe. But sometimes you want to play as close to quantized time as possible too, I think. And some may think that this might be an over-analytical way to think about it. But I still think that it could be valuable to have some type of standard to shoot for. And since the beatnik and... Other things like it must be based on something like this. I thought it would be an interesting thing for you to to discuss. I would love to hear your thoughts about this. Thanks. Was it two episodes ago when I went full deep dive on click track and the frequency of the click yep. track track and yep. the type of sound? So I would go back to that discussion and see where we left off. Um, so what was the general, um, I think 30 milliseconds, depending on what your reference was for me, was where I started to hear it as a different rhythm. Okay. Um, but that's in a vacuum. I wasn't playing along to anything. I was just listening to two sounds. So I think playing drums, are you playing to a loop? Are you playing to human beings? Yeah. Uh, I think it's more important to be consistent with where you place it rather than anything else. 10 milliseconds was what Shannon Forrest kind of told me that's where it's right. If you can get within 10 milliseconds, no one can really hear a difference. But do you gotcha. always want to play that way? Heck no. I mean, I've quantized my drums right. before or heard my drums quantized on tracks, and it's not right. It's it's not yeah. right. It's 100% quantized, but it ain't right. I think there's a bigger picture that – because the lazy drummer in me wants to say play for feel and make it feel right, and it's like – 
okay, so should I never work on my time? And it's like, no, I think that when I think of who's uh, the guy, <clears throat> excuse me, that you really look up to, uh, he was in Genesis for a little while. Oh, near. Yeah, near Z. Yep. So I think of somebody like that where it's like, I think that near Z, Shannon Forrest, Ash Zone, Jeff Beccaro, I think the most important thing is can you control your time? Yes, control. That's it. Yep. It's not how perfect it is. It's how much control do you have over it. If you are, if you are dragging, are you purposely dragging? Then it's not really dragging. It's like that's your feel. And if you're rushing but it's purposeful and you know how to do it properly, well, then you're not rushing. That's your feel for that song. I think the problem is when someone else tells you you're dragging but you thought you were spot on, yeah. then you need to work on your timing a lot. Yeah. And, and the other part of the equation is your touch. I mean, you sure. can play perfectly in time, but if your dynamics are all over the place, it's still going to sound wrong. And that's the Picaro, Shannon Forrest, Near Z thing is they their their accuracy of their tone and touch is so precise. They could play out of time, and I think it would still sound correct just because yeah. of their touch. Well, and, I mean, the other thing is can you only play with your <laughs> dynamics in time? What happens to your time when you do go to a uh, – a nightclub and you have to play whisper quiet does yeah. your timing go out the window because i know for me man timing in a rehearsal room back in the day when i was uh touring and stuff our rehearsal timing and my live gig swinging and stick twirling <laughs> right. timing was way off <laughs> right and i'd watch i'd have to watch the actual video cassette tape at the end of the night and i was like there's no way that i played that out of time like I, and i'd look at my bandmates like anybody anybody <laughs> want to just turn around and be like hey Maybe one or two less stick twirls, Johnston. We could just use a solid backbeat. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! So I mean, it, you know, all that stuff has to be practiced for sure. But yeah, I think the the key, Frederick, no, Juno. The key is um, is just working to the point that you can hear your time. And that's when you and I started. You were on your time journey, and I remember I was kind of just cracking into it. And the revelations that I had, it was never a, I matched myself up to a Pro Tools grid. It was always like, oh my God, I can hear that I rushed that fill. Right. Yeah. I never would have heard that before. Yep, totally. Yep, hope that answered Hope it. that helps, Freddie. <clears throat> All right, here's one from Simon. Um, I'm looking for the perfect portable kit. I currently own a Breakbeats, but I'm not happy with the quality. Um, I want to get something that sounds good in the five to $900 range and can be carried in two cases. I've been looking at the PDP Daru Jones kit, the Tama Club Jam, and the new Yamaha Stage Custom Hip Kit. Um, yeah, so that's a basic question. I don't have, the only experience I have obviously due to my exposure is the, um, and I'm looking it up right now, is uh, the Gretsch Brooklyn Micro Kit, but I think that's probably way outside of that price Yeah, that's range. a couple thousand bucks. Is it really? <clears throat> yep. Stupid. The um, again, I'm I'm assuming that the PDP, the <clears throat> Tama Club Jam, and the Yamaha Stage Custom Kit are either all made in Taiwan or all made in China. So the quality right. of the shells are probably going to be very similar. So I would go to which one has the best hardware. My opinion, Yamaha's still kind of the standard for trustworthy hardware. Um, I would go with the Stage Custom Hip Kit if I had to pick from those three. There you go. And you can cuss me out when it falls apart. No, it won't. It won't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's one from Benjamin in Quebec. 
Uh, my question is about an audio interface. I currently own an Audio-Technica AT2020 USB and a Shure SM57 for my snare. I want to buy another AT2020 and a Beta 52 for my bass drum so I can record myself with four mics. I noticed that all drum microphones I have seen people use have an XLR connector, while most audio interfaces only have one or two XLR inputs and the rest are jack inputs. My question might sound stupid, but is there something I don't understand about line inputs? Is or is there a specific audio interfaces for drum recording? Um, okay, I know what he's talking about. You're talking about like the instrument jacks. Yeah, you, you can you can get an adapter. You can plug a mic in for, into those, but it's not going to sound very good. You need a mic preamp. <clears throat> that's why you need the ones with the XLR. So, you know, that's a runaround. I would get a, at least a four channel interface that has four XLR inputs, and it's just it's just not going to sound as good if you go line inputs. Yeah. Um, that, and that's the, the big difference with that stuff. You know, if you're doing say like a, a Scarlet two I two or whatever, that's a great podcasting interface. But I, I remember being confused like crazy by that. Like it would say 32 inputs and there, yeah. there'd be two XLRs on the back. I'm like, are you sure? Like what, yeah. what am I missing here? So I totally know what you're saying. Just, it's funny, even if it's Amazon or Sweetwater or MF, I always click to the back of the piece of gear first mm -hmm. it's like i don't care what's on the front with your fancy little dials and your little glow in the dark things i just need to know how many xlr inputs are there yep that's really all that matters and every one of those xlr inputs has its own preamp so yeah just get either four to eight uh and then the other thing too is be careful because sometimes you'll be like "Ooh, here it is for 300 dollars less that's because it's firewire Good luck finding a firewire cable <laughs> or having a computer that has a firewire jack on it. So make sure that it's like USB, USB-C, USB 3.0. Uh, don't don't save the money and get the firewire version because they still sell those. Like who has firewire? I have a firewire hard drives, and I'm like, well, I don't even know how to plug this thing in anymore. Well, yeah. Where does it go? I just I have a same thing, and I just ordered on Amazon a USB. Uh, let's see. It's a FireWire to USB female adapter, mm -hmm. then a USB to USB male uh, cable <laughs> to get into my computer. Because I'm like, I don't even know what's on that hard drive. I don't want to throw it in the trash and find out it's like my very first drum solo. Mm. So I'm like, I just have to, I just have to see what's on it so I can throw it away. <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, Amazon will have that to me by September of 2021. <laughs> it's one adapter. Oh, to bring it back uh, to Benjamin, I I would personally say get more than you think you need. Get an eight channel yes. interface. There's there's so many. The Focusrite has a very affordable one. The um, Arturia sounds amazing, and it has eight inputs. So you can get yeah. something that's not a full full on like two thousand dollar professional level. But yeah, Agreed. get more than than you think you need. I'm using two mics. I mean, you know, I have a two mic setup, but I'm constantly minimum, I think, is eight channels that I'm using because I'm using this mic for podcasting. Mm -hmm. Then Amber has a mic. Then I have la my lapel mic out there. And then I need also channels for Dean and Q if they come over here. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that and that's just for a two mic setup. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I agree with Mike. More channels, the better. All right. This one is from Brandon. My question is in regarding symbol selection for quieter music. Um, I'm currently in two metal bands, but I've recently been exploring more acoustic styles of playing mainly jazz or improvised music, and I need different symbol sounds to complement that music. As this is my first foray into this world, I acquired a Sabian Artisan Elite pair of 14-inch hi-hats and an Artisan Elite 22-inch ride. 
Cool. Which should be perfect. Now yeah. I've been hunting for what feels like forever for another ride to offset that one. Since the Elite is really dry and dark, would you recommend a 20 in the same series or perhaps a 22-inch Artisan Medium ride for a bit more wash and projection to balance the dark and dry sound? I think anything medium is going to be too heavy. Yeah. Right? So he's got well, a 22-inch so Artisan Elite. That's a pretty dry kind of jazzy sound. Okay. Would you go 20 or two 22s? I would go 20. Yeah. Maybe even stay in the same series because I have, um, I'm jumping brands, but the Zildjian Renaissance 22 and the Zildjian Renaissance 20, they couldn't be more extremely different sounds. The 20 is like a crash that sounds amazing. The 22 is a real kind of gnarly, funky ride. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would agree with the fact that, you know, even if you want to stay with the exact same ride, check out the 20 of what you have check out the 20 of a couple others because exactly what Mike said, a 20 and a 22 of the exact same symbol are really different, mm -hmm. like really different. So you might find uh, some some things with that. I mean, we did, when we were prototyping the transition ride, we started at 20 and we couldn't get it to stop being a crash symbol. Mm -hmm. Then we went up to 22 and it just was like moving so much air. I was like, this, is, this isn't even related to the 20. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up with a 21. So... Um, it's kind of split the difference, but yeah, I think, uh, but congrats for just expanding your sound. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember reviewing those. Those are nice and they are kind of muted. So it should help you with, with that kind of playing style. Awesome. Next is from David. Um, it's another simple question. We're in like simple world when using a symbol set up using two rides rather than a ride and a crash, what considerations go into selecting the two different rides? How do you determine which ride goes on which side? Oof. Okay. Well, uh, I switched to a two ride setup probably, I don't know, within the last two years that I made it like a full blown thing. Cause I remember even Minel calling me and being like, Hey, uh, we have a, the Mike Johnston symbol pack. It has a crash in it. Right. <laughs> I was like, sorry, I didn't make <laughs> <Right>. that pack. <laughs> like, I, I never authorized that thing. Uh, it, it was just based off of a, a setup that I used for quite a while. But when I went to the big apple dark ride, the one thing is, first of all, crash stopped being a noun and it became a verb. So to crash meant that I could crash on anything. Is this symbol crashable? So I found that I couldn't do just two rides because one, I'm not a jazz drummer by any means, not even close. And I'm really, if, if I'm a fusion-ish drummer, it's pushing towards the rock side. So I still needed a crash. So I do have a crash on my right side, but one of those rides needs to be somewhat crashable for mm. the action of crashing, not for like coming out of a fill and hitting the one. But sometimes if I'm just kind of ding, chicka, ding, chicka, ding, chicka, ding, chicka, chicka, like just that crashability mm. has to be there. Um, so I have a 22 on my left and then a 21 on my right. And I don't know that I would, I don't know. I, I guess I would say that for me, my main ride is on my right. Mm -hmm. And my optional ride is on my left. That's how I decided to put the symbols where they are. Yeah, I was going to say basically that I would whatever ride is the one I feel is my home base that mm -hmm. goes on the right. And then is yep. that a washier ride? Is it a bigger ride? Is it a dry ride? Is it a smaller ride? And then whatever contrasts that will be on the left. Yeah, I mean, if you think about especially if you're a one up player, so one rack tom, then the ride symbol in its normal place, if we can call it that that's going to be a much more comfortable position for your right arm to be than the symbol that's actually way closer to you, which is on the left of the rack tom, 
because with your right arm, you're kind of crossing over your body. Mm-hmm. And to stay there for a really long period of time is going to get a little tiresome on your shoulder. So I totally agree with Mike. All right, next one's from Ted. Um, I've been listening to audio recordings of myself playing at gigs, and it seems that my BPM is close to the original recording, but my bass drum is rushing, and it makes the song sound rush rushed. Any advice on targeting lead foot disease? <laughs> First of all, awesome job for just diagnosing that about your own drumming. I don't know that I'd even be able to hear that in my drumming. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't call that lead foot disease. That You just listen to way too much Questlove. Your limbs are all separated. <laughs> like, you're actually so advanced that you're playing out of time with your body. Uh, J.R. Robinson swears by the fact that if you play heels up, you're going to always be rushing with your bass drum. Okay. So, and he plays heels down and he gets a massive, huge sound out of his bass totally. drum. He's also a big dude, so he's got plenty of muscle and mass to move the yeah. pedal. But I would try heel down and see if that fixes it. And if not, then make sure you're not leaning into, like literally physically leaning forward when yeah. you play. It's going to make Posture's your bass drum, you're going to be off balance, which means you're going to be rushing to get back into balance when you smash that bass drum. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I agree. That's it? Cool. All right. Boom. Just cured a disease. We just cured a disease on the podcast. (laughs) Lead foot disease. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Done. Uh, Okay. So this is, is this goodbye for us? I mean, we still have a million more, but we we could go on for hours, unfortunately. No, I mean, goodbye for us, like, like, because, I mean, without the podcast, you and I will not talk to each other. <laughs> uh, no, you owe me an adapter for my camera, buddy. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I owe you a full setup conversation on the EOS RP. I'm happy to do that. Uh, so even though it's just a break, we're not quitting the podcast. Uh, I think just want to say thank you guys for everything. You know, uh, it, it was so unique for Mike and I to be traveling around this, these last couple of years and have you guys come up to us and mention something about the podcast we never counted on that obviously we didn't do this podcast for that and it was just one of those things where as soon as one of us would get home from traveling that was the first thing we talked about like somebody came up to me and talked to us to me about the podcast you know and yeah. I'd be like that's crazy it's <laughs> yeah, just yeah. unbelievable so thank you guys so much for the support um and just know that our goal is that uh in a short amount of time the podcast will be back up and running the way it's always been and it'll just have a new focus and a new care for every single segment obviously mike and i need this podcast for our own therapy like we (laughs) talked about in the beginning so there will always be banter but we want to make sure that every ounce of uh, content that we're bringing you guys is super valuable yeah i have nothing to add except for um listen to some old episodes and you know we should do a best of maybe i'll edit together our wrap-up episode would it just be like silence on my end from like all the times i didn't turn my mic on and here's another episode where mike forgot to turn his mic around here's his microphone backwards it'll be all the pre-show sessions is what it'll be okay oh jesus please don't do that neither of us would ever be able to go to a nam again (laughs) we hated okay if you could edit together an episode where your microphone was backwards and then my microphone was backwards, but two different episodes so that whatever I say is not even remotely related to whatever you said. I think that would be wonderful. That would be great. Uh, nah. Bad audio. This is it. We're going out. All right, everybody. Have an amazing, amazing day. Go practice your drums. Mike and I got some practicing to do. And until we see you again, thank you guys so much for everything and for all the support. 